life-threatening cancer. She's gone back into the hospital this weekend with some new mysterious uh, developments. They're trying to diagnose those, and hopefully they will. There are important tests being run tomorrow. So I hope that you'll be um, keeping her in your prayers, especially this weekend. If you want to know how to serve Stephanie, two things. Pray for her and love her kids, the kids of Northwake. That's really what she wants. So let me give you some real practical ways you can love her kids. So in the first hour, these needs are available for you to serve our kids. Okay? The critical one I've underlined, the toddlers don't have a teacher. The others are more helping roles. Um, but if you want to bless Stephanie, there's no better way than to love her kids here at the Northwake family. And these are all needs that are, there's a place to sign up in the lobby and then um, you can also sign up online. If you get our one weekly email, there's a link in there. You can sign on there. And Stephanie said, you know Stephanie, you can email her at the hospital, stephaniej at northwake.com. And from her hospital bed, she will schedule you in to teach. She's, that's Stephanie. But we want to keep her in our prayers. And these are important needs for our kids. To mentor our kids matters. It's a priority to us. I hope you'll make it a priority for you. There are also some first hour or second hour needs during this time. If you have a particular um, concern for one of these classes, you want to flip hours, you're obviously more than welcome to do that. But those first set are the ones, and again, you can sign up in the lobby. Second thing is, let me encourage you, um, we have a, an offering that we are undertaking this time of year called Gen 12. It's rooted in Genesis 12. We've paid off our mortgage, and now we want to give the money away um, to bless others and to advance the kingdom of God around the world. And so far, um, about 40 families, a little less than 20% of our congregation have, have pledged for this coming year, uh, already $70,000. Okay. So put your math hat on with me. That means 80% of you have not joined in. Okay. You are waiting for the right moment. This is that moment. Okay, just wanted you to know, you're waiting. But imagine if the other 80% come in, if 20% have pledged 70,000 towards kingdom work this year outside of our, our church home, 80%. So do the math, okay? Some of you are really bad at math. It's a lot. We can give a lot of resources away to bless others and encourage the work of God literally around the world. So out in the lobby on the information wall near, nearest the restrooms, these cards are there. Pick one up. They'll be available on our website this week. You'll find a rotator on the front page that has this information this week. Um, but join us, okay? Nothing better, more fun to do with your resources than to give them to Kingdom Work with a glad heart. Uh, I hope that you'll sign on. And then during our intermissions conference, we'll announce those results after you've had a chance to join in with us. So take note of that. Um, that's, that's critical. Um, what that enables us to do is not only send the worship team to Tokyo for the Olympics, but to bring them back. So you need to be generous, all right, uh, in those kind of things. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper uh, at the close of our service today. It's a great sacred act of worship for our church. We remember the love of God for us on the cross. Um, and that is open to anyone at, no at Northwake who's a follower of Jesus, who's walking in fellowship with him. If that describes you, I hope you'll join us in that act of worship at the close of our time. So let's pray. Right. Lord, we think of Stephanie, uh, whom we love, 
Lord, have mercy upon her body. Heal that cancer that is threatening her life. Give those doctors extraordinary wisdom and insight and use even their failed attempts to bring healing to her. Um, God, that, that she might serve you in fullness of health for many, many more days. Um, so we ask your mercy on that. We ask for these needs that the children have at North Wake, that you'd raise up uh, glad servants willing to be taught and trained and to serve and love these kids. So help us in those matters, Lord. And God, give us generous hearts with gladness so that we can give away our resources to bless the nations and our neighbors. Help us, Lord, in these things. And now may your word transform us by your spirit. Open our hearts so that we will truly be followers of Jesus. And this we ask in his great name. Amen. So a pastor from South Carolina who went to the be with the Lord recently um, wrote, wrote this story, shared this experience. He says, just yesterday, I went out for lunch. His name is Ed Salmon. When I got to Forest Park, there's usually a homeless man or two standing there, and there was this terribly disheveled man standing there on this day with his sign, I'm homeless. And of course, he was going down by all the cars, and nobody looked at him. And he got to my car, and I rolled down the window, and I said, I don't have any money with me, but my wife is going to take me to the airport in about an hour and a half, and we'll come by here, and I'll have something for you then. And he said, do you know what he said to me? He said, thank you for looking at me. Didn't say a word about the money. He said, thank you for looking at me. And you know, you know these guys, they stand out at the corner of Falls and Capitol, right? They've got their signs, and you pull up, and what are you supposed to do, right? I mean, should you roll your window down? Is that even safe? Is that wise? Should you give them some money? Is, is that, are you just enabling something that you shouldn't be doing? And so a lot of times, I mean, you know what we do, you just, I mean, it's driver's ed mode. Keep your eyes on the road, right? And you, and you don't even look at them. You know, it's interesting, Jesus found himself in a really similar situation in Matthew chapter 20, and it goes like this, as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him, and behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside, probably had little signs, right? And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And the crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent, but they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and he said, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, let our eyes be open. And Jesus, in pity, in compassion, touched their eyes and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. You know, why is it so hard for us to follow Jesus in this way, the way of compassion. I'm sure we, we all have lots of reasons. Some of them are really good ones. They're about how busy we are, how strapped we are for cash ourselves, or how we don't want to enable someone else's demons. Um, I get that. I do. Those are my rationales, too. Um, but the fact remains for us 
We simply must follow Jesus in this way of compassion. Somehow, we must. Okay. You know, Jesus once told a story. It's, it's famous even now. It was about a priest who was walking down a road. Think of him as a senior pastor. He's walking down a road to Jericho, which was a dangerous route, and he comes upon a man who'd been mugged and robbed and stripped naked and left to die. Um, now, I imagine that he was busy with important senior pastor things, you know, sermon preparation, stuff like that, so he passed by on the other side. A little while later, Jesus says, a Levite comes along, same road. Think of him as a youth pastor, okay? And the youth pastor comes upon the same guy, laying there, mugged, beaten, naked, left to die by the road. And he's busy too with important youth pastor things, planting the corn maze and all that kind of stuff. So he passed him by on the other side of the road too. And it's a really, really bad day in the life of this traveler. Not only does he get mugged and left for dead, but the entire church staff passes him by, right? I'll let Jesus tell what happens next. You know the story. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him, and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, two days' wages, and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. So along comes the least likely of candidates, the infamous Samaritan. You can think of him as someone who got kicked out of seminary for unorthodox beliefs and associations, right? And he, of all people, becomes the hero of our story for one reason. He showed compassion. And Jesus makes his point in the next verse when he says, which of these three do you think, the senior pastor, the youth pastor, or the guy who got kicked out of seminary, which of those guys proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the man said, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus turns the story back towards this man and back towards us, and he says, you go and do likewise. Okay. Jesus says to you and to me, he says, you go and you do likewise. These, these are words for us as a church family this year, okay. 2020. We are to go and lavish the compassion of Jesus on those who are in need, in need around us. Um, the elders have set this as our, as our priority for this year, that we would engage our community and show compassion in action, that we would love our neighbors in our community with compassion and hospitality, and take the risk to speak to them of the love of Christ. Okay. If you call Northwake home, then our elders have laid this out as an area that we want you to grow in with us this year. Okay. Um, we're being led in this by our Circle 3 leadership team. Our church is kind of built around three circles, right? This is, this is what we mean when we say we're, we want to become mature and ministering worshipers of God at Northwake in our mission statement. We want to become a person who loves God and who loves his people, the church, and loves neighbors who are outside of the church. And so that third circle, the neighbor love circle, is being led by 
an absolute dream team of gifted leaders at North Wake. Um, Rob Craig, George Robinson, Carson Cobb, Noah Joyner, Josh Reed, A.D. Miles, Shanna Heath, and Jason Burgess. If you know those people, you know that these are some of our very best leaders, and they're leading us into this neighbor love practice. And next week, George Robinson, one of our elders, is going to share kind of the game plan that they've devised for engaging our community this year uh, with compassion. So I don't know what you're doing next Sunday. Don't miss church, okay? You don't want to miss what George is going to share with us. It's going to shape our year. It's going to be fantastic. But today, kind of as foundational for what he's going to say, I want us to sit with Jesus. Just sit with Jesus and learn from him as we look at three encounters where Jesus smashes through the usual barriers against compassion and, and puts compassion on lavish display. So the first encounter of these three, and by the way, there are many, many more than three encounters in, in the Gospels where Jesus displays compassion. One writer said, um, wherever Jesus goes, he leaves in his wake the white froth of compassion. And that is so true. You read the Gospels, Jesus is compassionate on almost everyone he encounters. But our first encounter is found in Luke chapter 7. If you have your Bibles or your phones, pull it up there and follow along. It'll be on the screen as well. Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 11. Soon afterward, it says, Jesus uh, went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. And as he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. So Jesus had just finished, if you read the previous verses, he just did something amazing. He did a long-distance healing. Okay? He didn't even show up where the, where the sick person was, and he healed him unbelievable and it generated this incredible crowd that has likely followed Jesus now on this long two-day journey from Capernaum down to Nain and it says um, that when he gets to the city Jesus great crowd is going in and they meet a considerable crowd coming out and that crowd happens to be a funeral procession right all the headlights are on everything they're coming out of town and these two crowds collide. We have a first century traffic jam. Okay. And I don't know about you, but the last thing on my mind when I run into traffic is compassion for other people. I'm more like the engineer in this story, right? So a priest, a doctor, and an engineer are playing golf. Okay. And they're waiting one morning for a particularly slow group of golfers who are in front of them. The engineer goes, what is with these guys? We must have been waiting here for 15 minutes. The doctor agreed, I've never seen such slow golfers. And the pastor noted, um, hey, here comes the groundskeeper. Uh, let's have a word with him. So the pastor calls it to the groundskeeper. George, what's up with the group ahead of us? And George says, oh, that's a group of blind firefighters who lost their sight saving our clubhouse from a fire last year, so we always let them play for free anytime. And the group's kind of silent for a moment. Pastor sympathizes. He says, man, that's so sad. I, I think I'll say a special prayer for them tonight. 
The doctor added, that's a good idea. In fact, I'm going to contact my ophthalmologist buddy, see if we can do anything for these guys. And then the engineer spoke up. and He says, oh, that's great. But in the meantime, why can't these guys play at night? <laughs> so compassion is rarely our first response when we are inconvenienced. But it is Jesus' first response. Look at what he does. When the Lord saw her, this widow, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. So what Jesus uncovers about her story is almost too much for him. Okay? It is too much for him to just stand by and mumble something and like, oh, that's too bad and shake his head and keep on moving. Jesus cannot be indifferent to her need. This is a woman who has lost her husband and now has lost her son, her only son. Likely now, the implication is that she's all alone in her great sorrow and that she's likely facing, as a result of losing her husband and her son, facing financial peril as well. And because Jesus takes the time to see this woman amidst the crowd and the busyness and the traffic of life, he feels compassion for her that smashes that barrier of indifference. Okay. It is a compassion that compels him to act. And Jesus cannot just stand there, wait for the procession to pass, and then be on about his business. He has compassion for her. A strong word. It means to feel deeply. One writer says that it means that Jesus hurts when he sees people. He feels for them. They grab him down deep. They reach him. And um, the woman's sorrow has deeply affected Jesus so that he is compelled to act on her behalf. And if you chase out all the occurrences when Jesus has compassion or pity or feels a love for someone in his gospels every single time when he feels that way he's compelled to act every time he feels compassion and that moves him to act okay. Jesus um, Jesus acts beautifully this is the compassion of Christ to feel the weight of another's need such that you are compelled to act on their behalf and watch how Jesus acts in verse 14, he came up, he touched the funeral bier where the, where, the, uh, where the corpse was, the body was. And the bearers, of course, stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother, and fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. Indeed, indeed he has visited his people. And he is a God of compassion. Jesus will not just stand by and shake his head. His compassion compels him to break through the barriers of irritation and indifference and act on this widow's behalf. Look at a second encounter with, you. Turn, with me. Turn to Matthew 14, starting in verse 13. It starts rather abruptly there. It says, now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. 
So Jesus heard some news that caused him to withdraw, to be alone with his father. And that news was the beheading of John the Baptist by Herod. John the Baptist had to be the closest thing Jesus ever had at this point to a co-laborer in this great kingdom work. Jesus said that John the Baptist was the greatest man who ever lived. And he was his cousin. Um, I wonder if they grew up playing together, because cousins sometimes do. And now, he had been murdered by Herod. And if this is what had become of John the Baptist, then this surely meant that Jesus' own suffering and brutal death was drawing near. And so burdened with the news of the loss of his cousin John, mindful of the suffering that, her- that this heralded for him as well, Jesus deals with this by getting alone with the Father for the purpose of prayer. Okay. You should make note of that. That is how Jesus deals with his sorrow. But... Matthew tells us when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. So if you're a mother of young children, you know what Jesus is experiencing, right? You put down one child and they're just about to go to sleep for the nap. And all of a sudden the other child comes toddling down the hall, wailing at the top of their lungs, waking the first child so that there is now no longer any hope for a nap that day, which is grievous to you. Not for the sake of the child, but for your sake, right? Will there never be any me time for me? And yes, yes, moms, there will be. It's called college. You'll eventually get some some me time. Um, But the typical response for us to this kind of interruption, honestly, is annoyance and irritation. Even, Even the Pope struggles with this. Did you see this clip this week? Watch this little clip. See that? Lady got Pope slapped right there in <laughs> wherever that was, Vatican or wherever. Hey, it's easy to be irritated. By the way, the Pope apologized beautifully for that the, ne- the next day. But it's easy to be irritated at those who grasp at us in their need, right? Because they are interfering with our agenda. Especially if we're facing something important, something weighty, like what Jesus was burdened with, the loss of a friend, the very real likelihood of his own life being imperiled. But Jesus does not respond as we would. Look at verse 14. When he went ashore, okay, seeking solitude, he goes ashore, he finds that great crowd waiting for him, and he has compassion on them, and he heals all their sick. Jesus' response to their relentless pursuit of him, uh, their interrupting of his agenda, is compassion. Compassion such that he would act on their behalf. He would spend the day, the entirety of the rest of the day, uh, healing their sick. This at the expense of his own needs. Jesus has so, compassion so great 
that he puts the needs of others above his own. He welcomes interruptions to his needed and deserved me time, his agenda. To follow Jesus then means that we put others' needs above our own, that we will grow, we're committed to growing in compassion like Jesus, not in selfishness, a compassion that like Jesus compels us to act. If Jesus cares for those in need at personal expense, then so should we, so must we. Compassion must trump our selfishness, even our legitimate self-concern at points. This would be what it means to follow Jesus. So I wonder if you're involved in helping people in need in some way. Because at Next week, George is going to unveil some beautiful, beautiful ways that that team of leaders has crafted for us this year to engage our community in compassion. But here's how the disciples respond to the needs of that crowd. Right? Now, when it was evening, Jesus had been healing all day. The disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. That means there's no 7-Eleven. There's no place to get food. The day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. I suppose that this could be construed as the disciples um, looking out for the needs of the crowds, right? Or perhaps they were just tired. But the sense that I get is that they, they think that these people should take care of themselves, right? They should meet their own needs, that they should have planned better. And now um, they should solve their own problems, they should work for it. They should plan for it. They should pay for it themselves. There shouldn't be any freeloaders here. The disciples sure, certainly shouldn't have to give up their meager resources for their failure to be prepared. So I smell anti-compassion in the disciples' response. This is indifference, maybe even annoyance, masquerading as fiscal responsibility and wise problem solving. It's interesting too how they address Jesus. They tell him what to do. Think about that. The disciples tell Jesus what to do. They don't ask him. This does not take the form of a request. There's no polite Lord prefacing it. And watch what Jesus does in response to their directive. He says, um, they don't need to go away, the crowds. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, we only have five loaves here and two fish. And he said to them, bring them here to me. So Jesus counters their plan to send everybody away and have them meet their own needs with his plan. You feed them, disciples. And we'll find out in a bit that, that there were thousands of people there, maybe 10,000 people there. This is called the feeding of the 5,000 because there were 5,000 men plus the women and children there. Jesus says, you give them something to eat. And their resources are meager, five loaves, two fishes. And Professor Dale Bruner says that the disciples think they have nothing here except those seven items. But they are counting, he says, only the realities that impress them, not the capital R reality that should impress them most, Jesus. Disciples should always be able to count to eight because Jesus must be accounted for. This is where it starts to get real interesting for the disciples. In verse 19, 
you know the story. Jesus orders the crowds, sit down on the grass. He takes the five loaves, two fish. He looks up to heaven. He says a blessing. He breaks the loaves. He gives them to the disciples. And the disciples then give them to the crowd. So the order is significant there that Jesus takes the bread, gives thanks, breaks the bread, and then gives it back to his disciples for them to distribute. You know, he very intentionally does not bypass the disciples. He could have dispersed the bread miraculously. He could have called Grubhub, um, you know, something like that, and got it, got it out. But instead, he gives the broken loaves back to the disciples to distribute. This is a teachable moment in the lives of the disciples. All disciples. Look at verse 20. And they all ate, all 10,000 of them ate, and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. It says they all ate and were satisfied. The compassionate miracle of Jesus satisfies them all. And they pick up 12, 12 baskets, one coincidentally for each disciple to pick up full of leftovers. Right? Jesus is showing his disciples who he is. Right? He is showing himself to be the compassionate Lord of creation. And he's showing them that if they will act with compassion and sacrifice what the meager goods they have, he is going to use them in ways they cannot imagine. This year, as we release our resources to engage our community with compassion, how might Jesus use us? I, I can hardly wait to see. So look with me at one last quick encounter. It's in Matthew as well, Matthew 9 starting in verse 35. It says, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So Jesus is going throughout the towns and villages and crowds are coming out from him with their sick and their needs. And he's, he's healing and ministering and teaching them. Make note of it. Jesus is not isolated from people in need. Okay. It is what he saw up close to people that caused him to have compassion for him. The more isolated you are, the less compassionate you will be. So when Jesus saw these people and he saw their suffering and their oppression, he had compassion for them. That deep down in the gut kind of sense that he cared for these people and he would help these people in their need. And, and again, this happens, this expression of compassion for Jesus happens all the time. He encountered that funeral procession for for widow's only son and had compassion. When he came upon a blind man, he had compassion. When he talked with a rich young ruler, he had compassion. When he was approached by a leper, he had compassion. And he never turns and leaves. He never just stands by and is an onlooker. He always acts. Sometimes he heals. Sometimes he teaches. Sometimes he even raises the dead. So powerful is his compassion. He always responds. He always acts. Real Christian compassion leads us to action. 
And it's no different this time in Matthew 9. He looks out on the crowds, he's filled with compassion, and he acts, but not in the ways he would expect. He doesn't issue a decree and make all their sufferings leave or hungers filled or illnesses healed, not this time. Instead, he turns to his disciples and he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So it's interesting, the action that Jesus is compelled to do by his compassion for these crowds, they're suffering like sheep without a shepherd, right? Is that the disciples should pray for workers to go out into the harvest. One, one writer put it this way, Jesus is saying the harvest is huge, but there are hardly any workers. And the idea of a huge harvest is both hopeful and daunting. Hopeful because the potential's huge, right? Daunting because there's so few workers. And faced with this great opportunity, these overwhelming odds, feeling great compassion for these lost and suffering people with no shepherd, Jesus acts by calling his disciples to pray. That's the action. Um, no miracles, no strategy, pray. He says, pray. And you want to go, really, Jesus? That's the best you can do? Pray? Really? And one thing becomes very apparent at this point in the story. Um, prayer must matter a great deal more than we think it does. If Jesus sees this as the great response to the needs, the spiritual needs especially, of thousands of people, that the most powerful response imaginable is to call the disciples to pray. It's like he's laying that as the foundation for his whole mission. He lets the solution to the suffering and sorrow of the crowds hinge upon prayer. Prayer must really matter. In Jesus' minds, prayer is the great hope of the crowds. These praying disciples, that's their great hope. So Jesus is inviting us his disciples in our day, to join in his compassion for the great multitudes who don't know him as a good shepherd, primarily, firstly, that is, by praying. And so tonight, we meet here to consecrate the new year in prayer at six o'clock. Okay. We'll pray through these passages. We'll pray for our hard hearts to be compassionate. You should come. You should come back tonight at six. We'll worship as part of our prayer, and then we'll have a time of prayer together. It'll, it'll be the fastest hour of your week. So come back at six o'clock tonight. Our Circle Three leaders are planning prayer gatherings each Sunday night then in January. So each Sunday evening, there'll be this opportunity. And again, listen to what Dale Bruner writes about the significance of these gatherings. He says, where there is prayer, there is mission. It is as simple as that. Where there is little prayer, there's little mission. The fact that churches are less apt to hold prayer meetings than committee meetings is a symptom of malaise. A creeping death sweeps over the mission of many churches in our time because, quite simply, prayer meetings have ceased. So, come and pray. Maybe it's new to you. Come back tonight, six o'clock, because Jesus here is instructing the disciples to pray for workers to go out into a huge harvest where the needs are overwhelming. And it's the same today. Um, 
around the world, there are about 4 billion people who are part of what are known as unreached peoples. They really have no way to hear the good news of Jesus. And only 2 to 3% of all Amer North American missionaries work amongst those people. The need is great. So come tonight. Help us pray that North Wake would send more, that more would go out from North Wake to meet these great needs. Jesus is moved by these kinds of ratios, whether in his day or ours, and, and we should be too. I, I love the way the Message Bible puts it. What a huge harvest, he said to his disciples. How few workers on your knees and pray for harvest hands. So we'll do that tonight, tonight at six o'clock. But it's interesting what happens next in this story. Chapter 10 follows immediately on what we just read, and it says, Jesus called to him, his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. And these 12, Jesus sent out. So the same disciples that he charged to pray are now becoming the answer to their own prayers. They prayed for workers for the harvest and now they are being sent out into the harvest as those workers, you know. Be careful what you pray for, right? But this is what prayer does. It opens our hearts and lives to join the work that God is doing in answer to our prayers. And so Jesus' compassion wisely leads him to prayer. And he breaks through here the barriers of self-centered irritation and indifference and isolation and prayerlessness. And his compassion compels him to act on behalf of those who are distressed and downcast. Now, for us, the only hope we have of becoming more like Jesus in compassion is Jesus, right? That we would draw near to him and ask him to change us, to make us more like him. And so um, later today or tomorrow, they'll be posted on our blog, on our website, a simple little calendar with, with a, an encounter for each of the next seven days with Jesus in one of these compassion passages. And when that prescription of a week runs out, you can refill it and you can pray it for several weeks. But it's simply a way to read in it, read, you read what Jesus showed, the compassion he showed or taught, and you'll say, Lord, help me to be like Jesus and help my church to be like Jesus. And then tonight, we also will gather for prayer and ensuing Sunday nights this month, we'll have a special time of prayer and we'll be praying about these matters. But right now, um, let's close our time together with this table where we remember the compassion of Jesus and how it caused him to act on our behalf. The Apostle Paul said it beautif beautifully in Ephesians 2. Let me just read this passage for you as we approach the table. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now is at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, 
even when we are dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And so we remember together in the fashion that Jesus taught us um, on the night in which he